All right, good morning again, and if you would, open your Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles. The book of 2 Chronicles will be in chapter 20. We will be finishing up our series this morning on how to respond to a crisis, but not just about how to respond to a crisis, but necessarily how to be, how to be prepared, you know, how to respond to it, how to get through it. And today we're going to see exactly what we should be doing whenever we're coming out of it and how we are supposed to behave ourselves according to how that goes. So if you haven't been here or if you've missed, we're going to give a really quick recap of what we've been over for the last couple of weeks as we've done in the past couple of weeks. We are, in, we are now in, in Second Chronicles chapter 20 where King Jehoshaphat is king over the people of Judah. And what we do know about King Jehoshaphat is, we, is what we find is in, in uh, chapter 17 and verse 3, as well as chapter 20 and verse 32, that he was a good king that walked in the way of his father Asa, and he did not turn aside from it, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord God, not doing what was right as, as a, um, in the eyes of the majority or within his, within his own opinion, but he did things that were right according to what the law of God was. He was a great king. He thought it was very important that, that the people learn the commands of God, so therefore he established a training and teaching amongst the people and set up, and set up uh, the, the instruction of God's commands within his kingdom and really um, had the people turning towards God during the time of his reign. He was a godly king, but he is facing this horrible tragedy that is coming up upon him. And um, I got a new clicker and it's supposed to work. I got, a, I got a clicker that didn't have such small buttons, but my big thumbs won't do that. Okay, there we go. All right, good. All right, so, um, so the first thing we found is that we got a crisis identified, and it was a terrible crisis in the fact that multiple um, nations gathered together and allied Jordan forces to come against Judah, the Jehoshaphat's kingdom, and um, they had, they had, they had uh, joined forces together, and with, by the time that he found out about it, they were already in Engadai, which is in their backyard. They've already infiltrated, their, they're deep in their territory, leaving them in a position where they have no ability to assemble an army or join forces with other nations in order to defeat this army. This army is one that is too big for them to win. If they go to battle with them in the condition in which they are now, it is a for sure failure. They will lose. And they, not and they notice this, um, um, and they, they, make a, they admit to this in the prayer that is given here very shortly. But also what we understand is that when we identify a crisis, we should already be prepared for the crisis. If there's a prequel that I could preach to these sermons, is be prepared. Now, during this time of crisis, we see that Jehoshaphat, he set himself to seek the Lord when his crisis was at his doorstep. But however, Jehoshaphat was already in fellowship with God. Okay, he was already in the presence of God. He had, he had, um, he had, he had followed the Lord, he worshiped the Lord, and he was prepared when the crisis came. Now, is it possible when a crisis comes and you're not in fellowship with God that you can repent and get back into relationship with him? Yes, but it's just one extra step. To be, pro to be properly prepared for a crisis, always walk together with God. Always set yourself to seek the Lord when the time of crisis happens. But the best thing is, is never to leave that place to begin with. Be there. Be ready. You'll be better prepared. I'm in doing that. 
So, so the crisis is identified, which if the crisis is identified, it requires action on our part. You know, we, we don't want to just sit around and, and just, and just let, let things go, but we need to make sure that we react in a positive way, which is to set ourselves to seek the Lord. And also, within, within, that, um, within the reaction that King Jehoshaphat did, not only did the, um, did the action he, he do uh, only affect him, but the entire people of Judah joined together in Jerusalem at the, at the temple, and they were seeking the Lord's help. They said, look, we're going to seek God's help in this because we understand that's the best place for us to be looking because of this crisis. And so the people of Judah came as well. So it caused a chain reaction with all of the people of Judah as well. And then he prayed. Now, this is something that we need to understand. King Jehoshaphat, he was the king. He had the power to free and save himself. But however, he humbled himself before God and before the people of Judah. He did not try to make himself to be the great, great commander and chief that he was, but he humbled himself before God and the people, and they cried out to God during this time of crisis and openly admitted in front of the people and God himself that this is a force, this is a multitude of which they have no power against, as we see in in verse 12 there. I mean, this kind of wraps up the entire situation in which they are. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we, have, for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are up on you. If you, if you ever caught in a situation where you have no idea how to handle it, this is exactly what you do. You just pour your heart out to say, God, God, I don't know what's going on, God. I don't know what to do. But however, my eyes are on you, and it's time to seek direction from the Lord in this. But what's beautiful about what we see there is also at the end of the prayer, I think it's a beautiful picture of the men of Judah in Jerusalem standing firm in the presence of God like they committed to do within that prayer. It says, whether, whether sword or pestilence or whatever comes upon us, we will stand here in your presence at your temple, and we, you will hear us when we cry out, and you will save. They were confident that the fact that if they prayed to God, that God would hear them. See, God had given them that land. God had promised them that land, and it was within that promise that they were standing firm in and, and, and willing to stand in God's presence. God, you've given us this land to inherit it. So therefore, we're not moving. We're not going to move until you tell us what to do. They had, a, they had a nasty army that was coming. It was at their back door, and men and women were standing in the confidence of God's promise and not fleeing with their women and their children and their little ones. We should have this kind of confidence in our great, mighty creator, God, that we have. We should have this confidence whenever we go to God in prayer that he will hear whenever we listen for his instruction. And the thing that we need to understand is whenever we are faced with a crisis, what they did not do was bail out on what they already knew to be true. Think about that. They didn't bail out on what they already knew to be true. They didn't bail out on the promise that God had already given them. They didn't abandon the land that God promised them. Too often when we're faced with a crisis, we're so desperate to see a, to see a solution happen right then and there that we will abandon what we know is right and good in the sight of God in order to get a solution to the problem. But all actuality, you need to stand still in God's presence and don't abandon what you know is right and good. You stand firm in God's presence and follow his direction as revealed to us in God's word. And that's exactly what they did. It's not, a, it's not an easy time for them. It would be very scary 
The reality of what, is, what they are facing is, is, a, is a true crisis. It is certain death unless God does something. Okay, what a great place to be, isn't it? If you really think about that. If you're in the most desperate situation where you, and you're in, a, you're in a crisis that is too big for you to handle, isn't it a great opportunity for God to show up and for him to receive honor and glory through your life? Absolutely. It's a great place to be. It's scary, but however, it's a good place to be because God does search to and fro, searching those in whom he can find himself to be strong. He wants to show himself strong within the weak. And then God does speak. In, chapter, in verse 14, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came to Jehaziel. And in verse 15, it says, And he said, Listen, all you of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, everybody pay attention because God has given us a word. Do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. He gave them an assurance that don't, don't fear. The battle is not yours. As a matter of fact, this is what I'm going to have you do in this. Notice he doesn't have King Jehoshaphat and the people of Jerusalem just sitting back idle, not doing anything. Is it, is, it, is it possible for God to fulfill his will without us doing something? Absolutely, totally. But during this crisis, during this time that Jehoshaphat is, 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 is faced with here, he gives him instruction. Jehoshaphat and the people of Jerusalem and, and Judah are given instruction, and they are expected to follow that through obedience to do what God has called him to do. Now, what does he say? He goes, as a matter of fact, you're not going to have to fight in this, but I know your enemy's plan. They're going to come up the ascent of Ziz. You're going to go down and you're going to meet them. Actually, I'm going the wrong direction. I'll get used to it here. So you're going to go down and meet them in the wilderness of Jeruel. You're going to meet this nasty army. They're going to come up this ascent of Ziz right here. And then you're going to meet them right there. I need you to go stand against them. I need you to go out against them, position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. They still have an obligation and obedience here. They still have a place in doing what God has called them to do. So however, they, they, they wake up early the next morning to go meet guys like this. Like I said, this is a big step of faith. Okay, this is an army they cannot defeat, but yet God is still saying to them, I need you to, I need you to mobilize, and I need you to get down there and meet them, head them off at the wilderness of Jeruel. That's what I'm going to have you to do. And when you get there, don't worry about fighting, but just sit still and, and, and see the salvation of the Lord. That's a, big, that's a tall order, right? You've got an army that's coming up against you, and you're telling me just to go up there and stand firm. It can be kind of scary, but however, that's what God has called the people of Jerusalem and, Judea and, and Judah to do. Then after, after God speaks, this is something that we need to have an understanding. God speaks to us through his word and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, which then can be confirmed by God's word. God has clearly spoken to us and how we are to behave ourselves in this world as we are awaiting his return. God has spoken clearly, has he not? Yes, he has. If he hasn't spoken to you, then we need to read, okay? That's what we have to understand is God has spoken clearly and given us an instruction book on how we are to behave ourselves awaiting his return. And when God has spoken, I loved what we see here. As we talked about last week, Jehoshaphat bowed his head to the ground and prayed. The people of Jerusalem and Judah bowed their, head, bowed their, um, their, their, their heads to the ground, and they prayed, and they worshiped, and they started to shout with loud voices, and they were celebrating. Why? Because God had clearly spoken, and he had declared a victory 
but the victory hadn't happened yet. Again, think about the confidence that these people had in the Word of God. If we, as the people of God, had the confidence that these people had, if we could read the Word of God and say, okay, this is for me to be obedient to. God is calling me to do this. And He has promised that His will will be fulfilled if I do this. Therefore, I'm going to step out in obedience and follow through with it and celebrate even before the results even come through. Okay? So they had a confidence knowing they believed what God said was true. They believed that. The question, do you believe what God's word says? Is it true? If it's true, then you will be obedient to it. If you truly believe that, then you will walk in line with the word of God. If you believe it to be true. If you don't, then you believe something else is actually better than what God is offering. But however, Jehoshaphat did not, did not see it that way. They worshiped before battle, and actually they rose up early the next morning eager to do what God had called them to do, eager to go meet this mean and nasty army in the wilderness. They were so confident that he did not form an army. He did not try to, try to get forces together just in case God's plan didn't come through. He was so confident that what God said was going to come to pass that he formed up a praise band and went to meet the, meet, meet this, uh, meet the armies of of uh, the land of Ammon, Edom, and Mount Seir. He knew he wasn't going to fight. He didn't, he didn't anticipate he was going to have to fight because he knew that plan A was going to happen. God's plan was going to come through if they walked in obedience to go meet them in the wilderness of Jeruel. Now that's kind of where we left it off last week. So far, so good, right? So now we want to see what really happens whenever they face off with this army in the wilderness. Well, we already know what's going to happen, right? Because God has already declared that he is going to fight for them. And when God fights, he wins. Okay, whenever God declares something, it's going to happen. Now, I want you to understand, this is not an example for every crisis that you go through. Okay, if you, you, you may be facing a terminal illness, this is not a promise or a claim that you can say that God, if, if, that, if, that if you will do that, God will take that illness away. Or if there's a crisis that you're going through, going through the motions that we see here with King Jehoshaphat does not mean that that crisis is going to certainly go away. But rest assured, because God promised Jehoshaphat and the people of Jerusalem that they will have a victory, they will, in fact, be able to claim that victory. A lot of times God gets a hold of us by going through times of suffering. And we can grow and we can strengthen and we can grow closer to God by going through times of suffering. If God chooses to heal us or to remove the crisis, then glory be to God. But if he chooses to grow us and to use us in a greater and more mighty way by causing us to have to go through a crisis, then praise and glory to God. Nothing changes. This, this victorious claim promise that was given to King Jehoshaphat and his people was for Jehoshaphat and his people. Now, there are many precious promises within the Word of God that we can claim by meeting those conditions, many of them, many of them. Okay, claiming a victory every time you come across a crisis in, in, in this form is not a promise that we can claim. The only thing that I can sure claim is that we can always have a victory whenever we are obedient to God's word. That's the victory. That's the victory in and of itself, that you trust God enough that you will step out in faith and be obedient to his word and trust him for whatever the results bring. Whenever you're obedient to God's word, step in line with it, you're already victorious. 
because God's will is being done in your life. I don't know what he has plans for all of us here, but we do understand that God had clearly spoken to Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah and Jerusalem, and he promised the victory. So let's see how this plays out. So, so King Jehoshaphat in Jerusalem, they have their place in this battle. They've got their battle instructions. Their battle instructions are to go before and to meet these people in the wilderness of Jeruel and stand against them, position themselves, and stand and see the salvation of the Lord as, as declared in verse 17. But as he's gotten his praise band together and he's now heading out in verse 22, it says, now when they begin to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people. When they began to sing and praise, then God set ambushes against those people. The, the, against the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had, uh, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Verse 23 says, For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. I don't know exactly what happened here. The only thing I can say is that God's miraculous hand came in and intervened in some way. And God caused ambushes on the armies that caused some type of confusion to where they were willing to turn on each other and destroy each other all the way down to the last person. But notice it happened when they began to sing and to praise. When they took that step in obedience to God, God showed up. And he did what he promised that he would do. Now, let's, let's see, make sure. There we go. So, so when Judah came to the place, in verse 24, so, so when Judah, Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on earth that no one escaped. As I said earlier, when God promises he's going to do something, he's going to do something. He handled this in such a way that no one escaped the armies that came against God's people who faithfully stood in his presence, crying out to him and seeking salvation of the Lord. And God promised, and he, and he fulfilled what he had promised, that no one escaped. God promised that they wouldn't have to fight. God promised if they would go and stand still, they could, they, could, they could see the salvation of the Lord. And by the time that they had actually crest over to the point where they could look over the wilderness, it had already been taken care of. Can you, can you imagine the fear and the anxiety that would be building up on these men as they are walking through the wilderness and they are cresting the point where they are going to meet their enemy? And just to get over, to look over the wilderness, they look across there and God has already handled it. God's word is true, folks. You can trust God's word. He handled business like he promised that he would. God is faithful. And whatever he directs us to do, God is faithful to do his part in each and every thing. It says, these dead bodies had fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people, they came to take away the spoil, they found, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because it was so much. They were given the spoils of victory here. 
we see that what was thought to be the greatest crisis of Jehoshaphat's reign ended up being a great blessing for them in the fact of the spoils of the victory. It was so much that they could not carry it. They stripped those bodies for three days and still could not carry all of it. Think about that. That's a lot of bodies. How many bodies do you think you can loot in, in an hour? I don't know. I've never done it, okay? I'm just saying. You know, 10 minutes, maybe, to loot a body? So you can do, what, six in, a, six in an hour? Six in an hour times 10 hours a day, 60, so times three, 180 bodies per person. Okay, if that math is even correct, then they were way outnumbered, weren't they? Yes. They were, that just kind of gives you the magnitude of the, ar- the size of the army. But let's don't forget that God is blessing them because of their obedience. Had they not walked out in obedience to them, I don't know if God would have set the ambushes, but even if God would have set the ambushes, if they had never walked out in obedience to meet them, then they would have lost the blessing of the spoils of the battle. They would have not been able to carry this home. So what we see here is that God has shown up. He's shown out. He's done his part. God's people have have fulfilled their obligation and obedience to what God's word had instructed them to do, and so they did. And in verse 26, it says, after they, after they, had, been, um, they had been gathering the spoils for three days, on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baracha, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place was called the valley of Baracha until this day, which means the valley of blessing. They stopped there. They didn't wait to go home. They didn't wait till they got home. But they stopped there immediately after receiving the blessing God had given them from the spoils of the victory. They blessed God there. They worshiped God in the midst and at the ending of this crisis. They turned to God and wanted to make sure that they blessed and honored him for the victory that he had given them, not by the strength of their own hands. So yes, so no one escaped. And what we see here is we see a great victory that can only be given to God. Only be given to God. God is the one who's going to receive honor and glory to this, not only in the people of Jerusalem and Judah, but also the people of nations around him. Let me take a look at verse 27. What we see is we see the result of the, we see the victory as promised as we've just gone through. And now we're going to see the result of the victory within, uh, within the people of Jerusalem and Judah. It says, then they returned every man of Judah. So not only did every man get defeated in the armies that came against Judah, But every man from Judah, including King Jehoshaphat, came back alive and well. They lost no men in this fight or in this battle. It says, Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. And so they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. So the result of victory to the people of Judah was they honored and they worshiped God for the victory. They're not taking claim for what they had done. But the reason they were celebrating was because God had caused them to rejoice over their enemies. Whenever we get through something, when the Lord is gracious enough to pull us through a crisis of whatever it might be, we need to be very careful to make sure that we worship God and praise him for the victory on the other side. But if you notice something here, almost every step of the way, that's exactly what Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah did. They were already praising and seeking God before the crisis came. 
And when the crisis came at their doorstep, they, they sought themselves to seek the Lord. They turned to the Lord and they worshiped in men. And then when God spoke and said, this is what's going to happen, you need to go down and meet them, guess what they did? They worshiped God. And whenever they, they were obedient to God that morning and started to walk out, when they began to praise and they worshiped God, then he set the ambushes. And then whenever they crested over the hill, over the wilderness, and they saw that God had already defeated them, once they gathered the spoils, what did they do? They stopped there and they blessed the Lord and worshiped him. And on their way back to Jerusalem, what did they do? They were singing praise and, and rejoicing in the Lord because God had given them the victory. And what did they do when they got back to Jerusalem? Well, they gathered all the stringed instruments and the trumpets and the harps, and they continued to praise Jesus through all of it. That's good advice, folks. That's great advice. So no matter what the situation is, it's appropriate to worship God. When things are going good, it's appropriate to worship God and give him honor and glory. When things are going what we think to be bad and horrible and we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, it's appropriate to worship God. And whenever you do see the light at the end of the tunnel and you make your way out, guess what? It's time to worship and praise our holy God, for he is good. So what was the result in the culture? So we see it actually had an impact on Jerusalem. And, Judea, and, and Judah, they had a, they had a, they had a, it was a great impact on them because it not only um, did they get the victory because of it, not only were they following God before it actually happened, but this would increase their faith and their strength in who God is. Remember, they recognized God for who he was and what he had already done. Therefore, that's why they sought his face. No better place to go when things go, get rough. But here we are. Now they are even strengthened and even more joyous because God has given them the victory as he promised he would. The result in the victory that we see in the culture is found in verse 29. It says, and the fear of God was on all of the kingdoms of those countries. The fear of God was on the, on the kingdoms of those countries when they heard the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Whenever God showed up, and God defeated this army without Israel having to pick up a weapon God received glory who gets the credit here God received the credit within all the, not only from the people of Jerusalem and Judah but the kingdoms of the nations of those countries they're the ones who are now giving credit to who to God they're giving a credit to God because God fought, the arm, fought those armies, uh, fought the enemies of Israel. God is receiving glory not only from the people, but also from the, from the other nations. So it's not like in their, in their minds that they can go and get a bigger arm, army and attack Israel. That's not going to do them any good. Why? Because God is the one who fights the battles for the people of Israel. It doesn't matter how big of an army they can, they can, they can conjure up. If God's going to show up and fight that battle for them, they're, they're not in good place. <laughs> they're not in a good place at all. It's a sure, certain defeat. And here they are. They recognize that God showed up and God fought that battle for them. And therefore, fear, the fear of God was on all of those kingdoms. They did not dare try to attack the children of God again, or at least during this time. At least during the time of Jehoshaphat. In verse 30, it says, In the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest. All around. They received God gave him rest. God is the one who receives honor and glory. As I said earlier, what, what a great place to be, to be in a time of a crisis that's too big for you to handle. 
that puts you in a position where all you can do is rely on God. And when God comes through, he's the only one that can receive the glory for it because you weren't big enough, because you weren't strong enough, because you couldn't handle this thing. But however, God is big enough. He is strong enough. And when he pulls us through, we need to make sure we give him the glory for it. It can impact the people around you, and it can impact the culture around you whenever people can see that God is the one that brought you through this. So when a crisis comes, and they will come, let's see that as an opportunity to praise God through it. Let's see it as an opportunity we can walk close to God and trust his word. And then ultimately, at the end, he would receive honor and glory. Now, it's my prayer for each and every one of you not to go through another crisis. I don't want anyone to have to go through it. But however, if you do go through it, you're not alone. But even though we do live in a world where tough times come, we, even, we face a greater crisis than what we can face in and on this world. You know, we, some of us may, may, have, uh, may have lost family members, but you face a greater crisis than that. Some of us may be diagnosed with terminal illness, but there's a greater crisis than that. Some of you may have lose your jobs, but there's a greater crisis than that. Some of you may be going through financial struggles, but there's a greater crisis than that. You may, have, you may lose your house and your home and everything that you have, but there's a greater crisis than that. And I want you to understand, it's a greater crisis than that, and it's a, and it's a crisis that you have no power to stand against. Every bit, of your, every bit of your energy and every bit of your effort will not take away this crisis, and that crisis is the, is the effect of sin in our lives. We all face a huge crisis in sin, and we are just like Jehoshaphat whenever we are come face to face with that reality, for we have no power against this, nor do we even know what to do. You couldn't do anything even if you wanted to because of our sin we have earned our just reward, which is a separation from God. We have earned the very wrath of God and to be separated from him for an eternity. And you can't do anything about it. We're in a bad spot. We have only one place to go. And if we really believe that God is the God who's above all kingdoms and all nations, he is our great God and creator, he is our redeemer, then that's the one to whom we need to be seeking when it comes to this great and terrible crisis that every one of us are faced with. The world is faced with this crisis. And yes, it is one that we have no power against, but it's also one that God says, you will need not to fight in this battle. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, and he fought that battle for you. He fought that battle for you, and he won. <laughs> The battle has already been, been, been won. The victory has already been claimed because Jesus died on the cross. And while he was up on that cross, he said, it is finished. And God, and God judged his son and crushed his son so, as, so the judgment of God would be satisfied in his son, Jesus Christ. And he died taking our place, being a substitutionary atonement for each and every person. He was buried and three days later, he rose again, ultimately conquering the worst crisis that man has ever faced. And we have our place in this. The Word of God tells us that if we will repent and believe the gospel, 
And the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever will believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The victory has already been proclaimed. Are you going to do your part? Are you going to respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit when he says, repent and trust in my son Jesus? Repent and trust and believe the gospel. That's how you're going to overcome the greatest crisis. And when you understand the magnitude of that crisis and the victory that God has given you over the greatest crisis that you will ever be confronted with, If you can trust him with the greatest crisis, will you be able to trust him with all these little difficulties you come with along the way? Is it possible for God to handle it? I'll say absolutely. God is good. All the time? And all the time? God is good. How are you going to respond to the crisis? It's always set yourself to seek the Lord and follow his instruction. Now, this is my quote. The best response to a crisis is to position yourself in obedience to God and trust him with the results. You can trust him. This morning, as we prepare for a time of invitation, as we all stand, as our musicians come forward, if the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning, I would pray that you would respond in a way that God is calling you to do so. And if that be this morning... We'll see you down front. Father, we just want to thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you so much for the precious promises that we find in your word. God, we're so thankful that you're faithful. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We're so thankful that you'll fight our battles. As we walk in obedience to you, Father, God, we want to just praise you for who you are and what you've done, God. Father, there's someone here who's never trusted in your name. Father, that's never taken the victory that's being offered through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that they will do so now before it's eternally too late. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.